Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. Go right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for enjoying another presentation of this podcast that we've had going a decade strong now here on Longhorn Blitz. And everybody that reaches out, thank you so much for your support of what we're doing here. Get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And get over to Horns 24-7, horns247.com. That's where you find the latest and greatest in Longhorn team. News, notes, and nuggets. The best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Mike Roach and Hudson Standish. Get it at Horns 24-7. Got a daily newsletter you can sign up for. That's free of charge. So a lot of stuff to check out on the site. Uh, not just on the site, but it's uh, part of the 24-7 Sports Network as well. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Always fun when we can get in here early and lose our minds on pro football focus numbers. I know I say that a lot, but Matt and I just kind of nerd out before Ryan <laughs> gets here. little so, nuggets. Yeah, just <laughs> stuff you got to do. Uh, a man who appreciates a good statistic. Uh, he wears many hats. He's a renaissance man. It is rabbit hole in season, so... If he cannot be bothered, don't fault him. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Uh, he wears many hats, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie on the Horn weekdays from 3 to 7 with Mike Harge. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with football. He got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. And I think yeah, every time I come in here, you guys are basically discussing some pro football <laughs> focus-related stat or, you know, something you guys looked up at pro football focus. Football outsiders, yeah. something. Yeah, there's always well, some discussion that I walk in on that's football-related, football, related, football gonna, theory of some kind. We're going to reference it all today. Yeah. Uh, let me just say, we're, we're recording this podcast on a Tuesday afternoon. I love the afternoon recording sessions more than the morning recording sessions because, you know, I, I come from doing Light the Tower with Craig Wave, by the way, 10 to noon each and every week. Shout out. On the Shameless horn. Plug. Uh, come over here from doing Light the Tower. So I'm, I'm already a couple Coke Zeros into my day, so I'm like everything, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Uh, everything's firing up here. Uh, so it might not sound good. I still might stumble over my words, but I feel more energized, feel more awake 
good. some of those morning sessions. Like yeah. last week, it took me about halfway through till that that first Coke Zero got going, coursing through my veins. I was like, okay, good, let's go. Yeah. And then the show was about half. I don't over. know how Bucky and Aaron do it. Been yeah. doing it for years. The morning show. Gotta be a different. Tell day. everybody that asks, man. You, if you, Ron, you've done a couple <laughs> fill-ins on the morning yeah, show. We've done it before. It's yeah. it just jacks up your body clock completely. Yeah, you. It would take me years to acclimate to that. Like for you, sure. You pretty much yeah. go straight from years off the air at ten to like you gotta go get a nap. Yeah, yeah. or go to the golf course if you're Bucky. <laughs> or how you used to anyway. Not anymore. I guess. Well, I guess uh, he he's still hit. He's still hitting them. Yeah. Don't don't Not let don't let the buck fool you. Not yeah, but you're right. It's total shock. I remember just going from being college, and I'm already a night owl and stay up late. And oh, mentally, exactly. like that's when I would be used to doing things my whole life. And then you intern for Bucky and Aaron, and then I end up working nights and weekends in radio. So, like, it's totally inverse of my schedule to where, like, you'd just be delirious. But it's yeah. almost more fun whenever, like, you're up that, you're half goofy and just, like, you, <laughs> yeah, it just comes out. You you're don't have as much of you're sleep deprived, yes. yeah. basically. Uh, see what's going on. You know what, what else is a shock to the system, guys? Looking at data and looking at how bad the Texas defensive line was last year. That's where I wanted to start yeah. off this conversation because I said last week, you know, we wanted to dovetail into this week and talk about X factors. Like, we're some X factor guys for this season. And I got a couple of them up front. One we talked about last week in Alfred Collins, but I just want to reiterate how bad this defensive line was. And one site that I love for line analytics because they're one of the few that tracks them is Football Outsiders. Yeah, they do a good job. They track. track Defensive and offensive line metrics. Yeah, it's how we said similar to how Pro Football Focus did with the Cowboys' offensive line, right? If you look at NFL numbers, said, well, Pro Football Focus says the Cowboys one of the best offensive lines, maybe the best offensive line in football last year. One of them. But you could look at the eye test and say, eh, maybe not. Yeah. Similar to what Football Outsiders would say about the Texas offensive line, man, you look at some of those metrics. Texas offensive line was elite in some areas. Eh, eye test would tell you something different. This is true. Well, the eye test and the metrics both tell you the Texas defensive line was bad last year. Uh, line yards per carry allowed, 89th nationally. Standard down line yards per carry allowed, 98th. Passing down line yards per carry allowed, 58th. Opportunity rate allowed, 75th. Power success rate, 97th in the country. Stuff rate, 57th. Then you get into sack rate, 117th. Standard down sack rate, 119th. Passing down sack rate, 73rd. Other than stuff rate, you were below average to just poor yeah, in and, every metric football outsiders tracks. And those are if you you know want to do a deep dive, you want to go rabbit holing about how bad they were specifically situationally, right? Uh, but, I mean, like you said, it's more the eye test. I mean, they, they, they allowed over five yards per rush. And we talked about the C and the D gaps, right? The edges specifically mm-hmm. outside the tackle, outside the tight end. Where's I mean, they allowed nearly numbers? seven yards per carry. Yeah. Uh, when you start talking about the the <laughs> the uh, the left side, or I mean, the left side for the offensive line, the right side for for uh, Texas defense. I don't know what it was particularly about that, but they 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 were close to nine yards per rush allowed when teams went through the C and the D gap on their left side, the defense's right side. So it's just yeah. it was it was historically bad. It really didn't yeah, so that I agree. That that is fascinating because I think situationally you probably can extrapolate a lot out of that. But mm-hmm. man, it was uh we, we talked about it. It might have been your worst performance for edge defenders for Texas in fifty 
years or so. Like it 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 was that kind of bad. I mean, we talk, you got to go way yeah. way back to find a a, a an edge presence for Texas uh, uh, on defense that had no pass rushing ability, really had no ability to affect the quarterback, and also was that bad at rush defense. I don't know if we've had a combination that bad, honestly, ever, but you got to go back 50, 60 years since they've been that inept. 97 would be close, and other than that, like, yeah, you're going back to, like, the, 19, the combo the mid, of both the of them. I mean, yeah. both of them were historically bad Yeah, at, at rushing the passer and historically bad at being able to stop the run on the edges. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 97 in, in, in our lifetime, my lifetime following the program, 97 would probably be that defense. And just you got Because all your uh, those per-game sack numbers that I gave you, they were all the worst since 97. Hmm. So that's probably – but we're talking about that's one – maybe the that was kind of the – if there is such a thing, the gold standard for bad Texas defenses was 97. It, it might be 2021 going forward, Rod, to your point. Yeah, I mean, it was – it was just uh, yeah, that inept. It, it, was, it, was, it was pretty bad um, on the edge. No a couple doubt. numbers I wanted to look at, though. To, to your point, Rod, what you can pull out of the, the football outsiders numbers to point to the how bad the defense was uh, – Going back to our conversation last week about situational football, mm-hmm. power success rate where Texas was 97th in the country, power success rate is the percentage of runs on third or fourth down, two yards or less to go that achieved a first down or a touchdown. If you were one of the worst defensive lines in the country in power success rate, in situational football, you were terrible. Yeah, that is. I mean, that basically says when everybody knows short yardage, when everybody knows, hey, if there's a 85 90% chance the offense is going to run the ball, you know they're going to run the ball. Mm. You still couldn't stop them. Yeah, and that yeah. was one of the times where the uh, where the you know uh, the advantage it doesn't shift in favor of the defense, but at least you have a really good idea of predicting and projecting what they're going to do. And schematically, they didn't give themselves an advantage. And personnel wise, they had no advantage. And I, I, and I goes back to me watching film. Trust me, I watched a ton, too much of it. It they they had nobody that could beat one on ones consistently up right. front. They had no one that could beat a one-on-one consistently up front. Every now and then they would, uh, but for the most part, offensive lines, they they won those one-on-ones up front but all day long. I, but I think, too, the two standard down metrics, standard down line yards per carry allowed, standard down sack rate, 98th in the country in standard down line yards, 119th in the country in standard down sack rate. Standard downs are on schedule. Those are your 50-50 downs. So you're bad situationally, and situational football is you know what the situation is. Mm-hmm. The 50-50 downs you don't know, so as bad as you were situationally, 50-50 downs you were hopeless. Yeah, even worse. Yeah. And normally, like, you inherently get, like, when your run defense is that bad, it's like, well, your pass defense just doesn't normally give up the yards because they don't have the opportunity. Texas was bizarrely horrid at both, <laughs> which made it just so impossible yeah. to stop, and it's with the formula that makes it arguably the worst defense we've seen at Texas. Even yeah. even by the passing down metrics passing downs where you know it's third third and long we talked about how oh, bad texas long, was bad, third and long last year terrible. passing down line yards per carry 58th in the country yeah you were middle of the road allowing line yards per carry on passing downs yeah and then on pa- your passing down sack rate pa- yeah you're passing down sack rate was 73rd yeah because they unless they were blitzing i mean they weren't going to get to the no. quarterback really <laughs> So that just that's where I want to start with talking about X Factor because there's two guys up front that I think can completely change the complexion of what this defense can do in 2022 if these guys a get more a higher percentage of snaps than they got last year and b are as productive with a bigger sample size as they were with a smaller sample size 
We'll talk about Byron Murphy in a second because he's almost easier to talk about because I think with him, it's uh, Matt and I'll get into the numbers. I think it's just as simple as giving him more snaps. Alfred Collins, though, the more you dig into it, this is what Matt and I were nerding out about before the show. It is really interesting to look at Alfred Collins' production. And I think, Rod, it's not so much the number of snaps to give him. I really think it boils down to finding a be- the best way to use him. Now, we've mm-hmm. talked about this with him before. Ideally, because he is so unique, you would like for him to be a matchup guy. But I think that's where you get into, okay, you've got to meet in the middle. Both roads have to intersect at some point with Pete Kwiatkowski's emphasis on making him a guy that you can use and play multiple shades and do different things with him, move him around and make him a chess piece. And either the ability or willingness or whatever it is of Alfred Collins himself to understand what he needs to do in that, those situations to make himself that kind of player. And if you can't do that, then maybe just put him on the edge in a favorable shade and just let him rush the quarterback because Pro Football Focus tracks a couple of different numbers. And one thing that I thought was fascinating is they track a pass rushing productivity metric, okay. which is based on a per snap basis based on your pressures and it's weighted more towards sacks, how effective are you at getting after the quarterback? Alfred Collins' PRP rating was 6.2, and I did it on a minimum number of snaps. I did it on a, according to this metric, and this is what's weird about PFF, they change the snap counts for different metrics. Sometimes it's weird the I way know. they do it. They are a little inconsistent. Okay. Yeah. So this was based on 138 pass rushing snaps. I use that as the minimum because that's how many Collins had. Based on that number, he was his PRP of 6.2, was 12th in the Big 12. That's the same as O'Shawn Mathis had last year at TCU, but O'Shawn Mathis had 267 pass rush snaps compared to Alfred Collins at 138. Yeah, half the sample, but still the same production on a per-snap basis. Yeah. Um, But what I also found out, and I think this goes, Rod, to how, how bad Texas was on ES. So, well, I'll get, to, I'll get to the overall grade in a minute and what it means. But Matt and I started looking, okay, let's go deeper in Alfred Collins, right? So the password's productivity, okay, it's there. I started looking at things like his win rate, according to Pro Football Focus, which is just Pro Football Focus describes win rate as percentage of wins versus blocking on non-penalty password snaps. To your point, Rod, how many times basically in a one-on-one, how often do you win? Because if your best 11 are out there and then they win – you probably would take that even over certain, you know, results or certain hurries and stuff. If your guy's beating your guy, that's valuable. Now, his win percentage last year, based on 100, and again, this is where the snap numbers change, they've got him at 147 pass rush snaps for this Mm -hmm. metric. So I did that as the minimum. Based on that, he had the best win rate of any Texas edge guys last year. That's not surprising. At 10.1%, but that was 18th best in the Big 12. To put that in comparison, Nick Benito, who led the Big 12 last year in win in win percentage for edge guys, 29%. Will McDonald at Iowa State, 21%. So that just shows you the gap between yeah. the middle-of-the-road guys and the best in the conference. You're winning. Basically, Nick Benito last year was winning almost a third of the time one-on-one situations. Yeah. One out of every three one-on-ones, he's going to win. No, I mean, it doesn't does surprise me that he is the most effective. If you just kind of look at the overall data, that he's probably your most effective edge guy. 
um, because the ceiling is really the bar is really low <laughs> yeah. for right now for Texas Edge guys. So that doesn't surprise me. Um, and the data just backs up what I've seen on film. They just don't have guys that can consistently win, and that's and PK's entire system breaks down at that point. Because right. he's all about trying to win the numbers game, and at that point, he can't win the numbers game. He doesn't have anybody that can win a one-on-one, win a one-on-one, or can match up one-on-one on the back end consistently in man-to-man, which is why you've heard Sark say this year they're going to play more man-to-man, and they want to try to add a diff- add a defender in the box consistently. Um, and that's you know one of their plans to try to just improve the the numbers advantage in the box. And they got guys now that have higher football IQs that also are faster guys that can win on the back end. That's the theory. Um, and if they can execute it, the uh, obviously the benefit will be they'll add another hat to the run game and they yeah. can outnumber the offense in the box. That's their plan. So Unless, ma- unless that guy becomes a war daddy yeah. overnight, which I don't know if it's going to happen. Right. It so, could. So Matt and I decided to take a look at kind of just dig deeper and – look at Alfred Collins and something else pro football focus tracks. And this is a better effort to gauge. Okay. And like true, basically non blitz situations going against a true pass set. When you're going against a true pass set, what, what happens to your numbers? Okay. Okay. Basically again, it just helps carve, give you a better idea. Okay. In a real, in a real life situation, how good is this guy? Remember I said Alfred Collins overall win percentage last year was 10.1. Mm-hmm. Against true pass sets, Rod, the win percentage goes from 10.1 to 19.4. Okay. And predictable, basically predictable passing situations. Yeah. Well, you know he's going to, yeah. So we basically, he can pin his ears back. And when he's and he being have put to, out there to he, be a pass rusher. Yeah, we didn't have to account for the run. Yeah, right? when he's yeah. being put in there yeah. as a pass rusher in a true pass set, exactly, to where yeah. it is more predictable down in distance, but it's also valuable if you're getting home because the offense is sort of expecting, you know, you might have max protect out or yeah. something like that. So at least you're able to get home then. Uh, of his 15 pressures last year, nine of them came in true pass set situations. So I just wonder, like, do you basically just need to not worry so much about moving him around and making him this chess piece that we kind of want him to be and saying, okay, when he's most effective – it's really just when you're based on situational football, you're just lining him up in the right spot. I think ideally you would have liked him to be, have been that type of a impact player where you can move him around because he is he is versatile and to me he is one of those really cool chess pieces up front that can give you a decisive like schematic advantage, but he's not that. So right. you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you know, life and football are constant struggles between what you want to be and what you need to be in order to survive. He's not that. We want him to be that. Yeah. We all want him to be that guy. He's got the body for it. He's got the overall raw materials for it. That ain't happening, all right, right now. So for the time being, what does he need to be? Well, you need a guy that can rush the damn passer. Yep. You just need somebody that can rush the passer on third and long where you know they're going to throw the football, that you can put him out there and he can be really effective at rushing the passer. The data backs that up and giving him less to worry about, right, with putting him in predictable passing situations, giving him less to be concerned about in terms of not having to worry about the run as much, it obviously makes things easier for him. And when it is a little bit more rudimentary, he seems to thrive. So start there and then see if you can start building on that foundation. 
Yeah. Right? And see if he thrives yeah. in that situation. You put him in there more. And then, yeah, then start putting him in there, hopefully, to be more of an every down guy. And then maybe it's one of those things where it, it start, it start, the light comes off. Because yeah, we've off seen that this D line, right now, it looks as if it's going to be a platoon and you're going to have to find the pieces and how they fit together. <laughs> and whenever you look at Alfred Collins, you'd be like, ah, I don't know if he's done anything elite yet at Texas. But then when you mine in and find that in those 35 true pass sets, I just went to put it nationally and at 130 plus uh, overall pass rush downs when you're on the field, he ranks 10th in the country. Only person in the Big 12 higher was Will McDonald, who ranks second. Colin Oliver from Oklahoma State ranks 11th. And that's when you look at the PRP, his being at 17 and a half. You had a guy from Coastal Carolina led the country, Josiah Wright. Then it's Will McDonald. And then you have a guy from UAB, a guy from Troy. It was Nick Herbig from Washington, Derek Hall from Auburn, and then Lonnie Phelps from Miami. But when you look at it that way, on those 35 snaps, you had nine total pressures. It was two sacks, one hit, and six hurries. And that grades out with his 20% win percentage. Rod, to your point, uh, well, before I get to this, I want to ask a big picture question. Mm-hmm. We talk about the data, what the data and the eye test say about Alfred Collins. Yeah, yeah. Aiden Hutchinson what? would be twelfth. I didn't say that name. Oh, yeah, that's a nice. Little, Alfred yeah. Collins tenth. That's there you good. go. Like that. What the what the film backs up, and Matt just said, hey, and, and as a situational mm-hmm. pass rusher, he's a lead. Will Anderson sixteenth. Okay, so again, you're talking about he's got a better PRP in those situations than Aiden Hutchinson and Will Anderson. I think we can agree are really damn good pass rushers. Yes. We all see what the data says, and we even see to an extent what the eye test says. Mm-hmm. The big question is, and unless this gets answered in the right way, everything we just talked about and we'll continue to talk about is moot. Do Bo Davis and PK realize that, that that's what he is right now? Uh. Well, they should because, like I said, the eye test kind of backs up when you watch the film, but they should have access to the same analytics and data mm-hmm. that we do. Hopefully better stuff. Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully better, better stuff, stuff. yeah. Uh, yeah, and they got a great mind over there like Gary if Patterson not, now that can kind of help them explore, you know, different elements of personnel. So I hope that is the case because, I mean, it's a great point you guys bring up because I think, you know, looking at that D-line, we've talked about, you know, how it was projected to be a really deep position. Everybody was like, oh, D-line's going to be really deep. They got tons of guys, tons of bodies to throw out there. And maybe we were wrong. We were right and wrong, right? Maybe they're not deep in the sense that they got, uh, you know, a bunch of guys that are every down players. Maybe they got a bunch of guys who specifically situationally can thrive. And if you know the roster well enough, you know your personnel well enough, you'll know who's best on your first down, your early downs, your 50-50 downs, your pass rush downs, your predictable passing downs, all those things. And if they know that group well enough, then maybe you know what to do with all those different pieces. Uh, That's kind of – because we saw it last year. Nobody's really stood out and ended up being – a a true impact player on the defensive line consistently. Yeah. Guys had they had flashes. There were flashes, of course, the flashes. But I'm talking about consistently becoming yeah. uh, the best and most impactful person on that D line. We didn't see that last year. Can I give you an example of what you're talking about and where it can work for you that we've seen at Texas? But go to the other side of the ball. Think back to 2016. And again, the veer and shoot offense is a different animal. Yeah, it is. But think about what Sterling Gilbert, Matt Maddox, and Charlie Williams did with that wide receiver group. You didn't have a great wide receiver in that group. But because of the structure of that offense, 
you found the right roles. You found the best role for Armani Foreman and you found the best role for Dorian Leonard and the best role for Jake Oliver and the mm-hmm. best role for Ja'Cory Warwick. And you had – what was Devin DuVernay's role as a true freshman? Mm-hmm. Go deep. Yep. He, he, Devin DuVernay ran one route mm-hmm. as a freshman. Yep. Mm-hmm. The go. That was it. Now and maybe this up. maybe a stop and go, but that's, that's all he was running. Yeah. So that's where you now you had similar to this D line, you had younger guys like you thought. Okay, down the road we think Colin Johnson can be a special player. But right now we need to be him like a third down at the sticks guy. That's what he needs to be right now. Right now, mm-hmm. Duvernay we think is going to be a great player, but right now we need him to be take top off a of defense. That's all we need him to do. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's an example. Kind of is that an example? Of what you're that's talking kind about? Of exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. No, and it's you don't right now. You don't have a you great have player, a guy, but you've yeah. got guys that have good enough tools yeah, that if yeah. you mix and match them right. It, you can make it work. It's yeah. more challenging, but yes. I think that might be the best avenue to take right now. So, like, you know what? Because uh, I know that that's challenging to find your best 11 and also do what we're talking about, which is have guys specialize in situational football. But I'm just talking about solving the problem of how do you basically improve your defensive line presence, and especially on the edges. Yes. Um, down the down. And if you look at it, I mean, you talk about the edges. I pulled up individualized, uh, you know, run defense at the edge. Texas's top defender was 153rd in the country. So, I mean, that's wow. just putrid there because you, you have 130 that's teams. You don't even wow. have one like – and that's it was Ovia Gofu was at 153. So, it yeah. aligns again with the numbers. And this is where, like, this conversation you brought up there, Jeff, with the wide receivers in 2016, it's exactly why, like – when you look, it, it almost puts even more impetus on your analyst and your analytics department. If you're trying to platoon, and basically it reminds me of like when you t- watch you know, somebody talk about how the Astros built the organization and how they're able to find pitchers. And they're able to go, and other pe- people are like, man, there's nothing going on there. He's like, yeah, but this guy has this pitch, and this guy has this pitch, and yeah. we can go and mine into this guy's stuff. And there, there are some bright spots. It's Great just yeah. mirrored together. And yep. that's sort of where when you go into platooning the linemen, you can really, if you have a lot to choose from, if you go mine in, you might be able to find the little specific tool that's strong on each one. And if you have the right analytics department and the right analyst and then the right eyes being able to apply that, like it happens most, I'd say, like by when you look at pitching steps in baseball, you can find that's those type of point. things. Yeah. And that's sort of yeah. what they're trying to do right now and find because you need to have multi uses for these D linemen that work well in unison. Yep. And that's the way you do when you deal with the pitch. It's called the bullpen approach, right? Yep. Totally. Whatever to your point, Rod, about having a war daddy, would everybody love to have Mariano an Rivera yeah. or Trevor Hoffman yeah. back into your bullpen? Hell yeah, you'd yeah. love that guy. But you know what? Sometimes you gotta say, okay, this guy might need to close tonight because they've got three lefties coming up in this guy's situation against left-handed bats. Mm-hmm. He's the best guy we got, so he's going to close tonight. But yeah. You'd love to have a Verlander and, eat up all seven innings, but when you don't have a war daddy, you have to piecemeal it together. And when you look at the way the Big 12, you know, kind of you talked about you know the hybrid spread schemes you always bring up, Jeff. I mean, it actually may be end up being a benefit to you later on because you may be able to match up a little bit better because you obviously are more malleable up front, making you tougher to you know to tougher the game plan against. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. know exactly how you're going to approach them. Because and you have you an answer it. whenever a new problem comes up. Exactly, you got you got more options. Well, you got more it's, options it's why to, you want multiplicity. Op- why yeah. we talk about the same idea of being multi-positional or having yeah. different strengths, and then just gives you more options. Well, this is a little bit different because now it's basically out of your deficiency. You're forced to mine into and find the specific things that are your strengths within a player or two, and in. 
you if you tie them, it's hard to tie them all together. Sometimes it doesn't work, but if it does, you can get by with where it's one of those situations where the sum becomes greater than all the parts put together. Uh, Rod, to your point about Alfred Collins um, and just how bad Texas was on the edges last year. <laughs> so I'm looking at Pro Football Focus, and based on you know ranking Big 12 edge defenders against the run, 416 snaps was the most a Big 12 edge played against the run last year. Or I don't know how they get 416, but 416 is what they're going off of. Mm. So I did 20% of 416. So basically every Big 12 edge defender – that played a minimum of 83 snaps against the run last year. Okay. okay. You follow me, Philip Hart? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, 36 of them. Ray Thornton, 32nd. Alfred Collins, 33rd. Yep. Jet Bush, 36th. Yeah. None in the top 30? None in the th- – uh, you had Jacoby Jones at 27. No, Still. He, he definitely was your highest. Uh, you're going to have Ovia Gofu pretty high up here. Ovia Gofu, 8th. Oh. All right, so you got one in the top ten. At least that skill is okay. Go. And then none of your guys yeah. were you know, at least yeah, one let's there. See, exactly what that. I mean, I don't know. Just obviously, this is data, and this is more football theory. Yeah. Um, but I do think if you're just looking at it analytically, it does back up, as you said, the bullpen approach mm-hmm. or the approach of you know what, let's let's look into using these guys situa- situationally and then figure out the best groups or how to group these guys and mix and match them based on the matchups we're seeing, based on their specific skill set, if somebody starts to thrive and they separate from the pack and become an absolute beast, great. Thank you, Lord. But if not, at least now you're giving yourself more options to approach different problems to try to solve those problems either week to week or even going into the season, right? You're giving yourself more options. So, I I, I, I mean, I know it's kind of a, a random approach, and we this is not ideal, but I think for Texas, mm-hmm. given how extreme your issues are, this might be the best approach, common sense approach. And what it can also do is sort of give you a few tips and or a few indicators at who may fit well behind you, like which linebackers fit well with the front that does this, or which, you know, safeties fit well when they do a front like this. It just can give you a little, few things that impact it. If you, say, are bad against the run, you might have to put more impetus on that at a different position well, or vice the, versa. And the belief is that if you're putting guys in a better position to be successful, right, you're 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 catering to their strengths, they'll be fresher in those roles than when you had them you know, trying to, you know, play them over, you know, four, three or four different downs or whatever, and you were misplacing them or misusing them. Um, and now if you put them in a scheme now that is favorable to their strengths and skill sets, they'll be fresher in those roles because you'll have them role specific. They won't be as, diluted and deficient. Yeah, like yeah. When, when if you put them in the wrong roles, they're wasting energy doing stuff they exactly. aren't good at anyways, and now you're diluting the parts when they could be strong. But here's here's the way, though. Let me go back to the, to the Dave Aranda conversation, okay? And if you got your Longhorn Blitz bingo card, mark your Dave Aranda spot because I'm about to talk Dave Aranda. I just I go back to what Dave – and maybe he said it in other press conferences, and I'm sure he has because coaches have their talking points. But I remember Dave Aranda talking football theory at uh, coaching school at the THSCA convention last year when he had his news conference. And Chris Hummer and I, there was a couple people there, and we're just shooting shooting the S with Dave Aranda. Awesome. He was talking about just kind of how he's evolved as a – and basically along how every stop he's had has been different mm-hmm. as a coordinator and a head coach. Yeah. We talked about we talked about the deal when he was at Hawaii. Yeah, an overabundance of just stout, tough defensive linemen. And he said, you know what? He had 
six one, you know, two hundred ninety pound defensive ends, mm-hmm. but I had to get my best players on the field, and that's what it, that's what you had to do. Okay, so you go to Wisconsin and you want to be more of a three down guy. Well, okay, there's something about the Midwest portion of this country where the JJ Watt body type is mm-hmm. somewhat in abundance. Corn fed man, uh, you know, six four plus. 275 plus pounds that you can play a true three man front and have the, have those five tech body types that are readily available. Then you go to LSU, and the athletes in the southeast are much different. The athletes in the south are much different. Got more freaks, uh, guys that are more penetrators, disruptors. Mm-hmm. But that's why Dave Aranda is a football theorist because you constantly evolve and figure out okay, this is what I have, and within the framework of what I want to do, I have to make this work. How do I do that? Okay, now I need to change. A, B, and C to make it work with the personnel I've got. Yeah. No, I I, I totally agree with that. And that's why I see it adapted so well to the Big 12. And I, I say all that to bring this up when we talk about PK and Bo Davis and this defense mm-hmm. and the bullpen approach along with getting your best 11 on the field is the simplest approach because you are so young at edge. Like, take over your Gofu out. I guess if you want to still consider Alfred Collins an edge, go ahead. But then you've got, like, True freshman, retro freshman. That's all you've got. Mm-hmm. And I know Texas fans have a bad taste in their mouth. Anytime you mention a three-man front because of Todd Orlando, but hear me out on this, with your personnel is a three-man line. Maybe just switching it up and doing more true three-man fronts, is that the best approach? Is that a better way to rotate your your best, most effective player situationally while also still making sure more often than not you've got your best 11 on the field? Um, so in other words, uh, taking an edge off the field and putting an interior D lineman in that place. I think it'd be tough to try to try because they did. Sorry, I'm gonna cut you off, Rod. They, they did work with more three man fronts in the spring. I they think it'd be that. tough to try to pigeonhole yourself into more three man fronts, but also trying to stay open to role specific bullpen options with the D lineman. You know what I mean? It's like, just one open of the many both. options. Okay. Yeah, like you'd be open to both. Like, yeah, we could end up more three man. You know, we could end up four man. Be open to solving the problem. Yeah, and the problem being whatever uh, who you're gonna see that week based on the matchup or based on how you want to build your defense and construct the defense. If you want to go three men, great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would I would, I would remain multiple. I think multiple okay. defenses are always the best way to go. Pigeonholing yourself into one type of defense always gets guys in trouble. That's what gets them in trouble. Yeah. So basically, yeah. if you're PK, a Veranda would never do that. Mm-hmm. Tom, well, <laughs> Tom Herman, so the example he I knows just all used. about it. Yeah, I mean, he's Todd, gonna switch Todd, up. He's Todd, like, you know what? Yeah, Todd Orlando. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. You're like, committed to a three-man front. Get, yeah, get too committed to it. Yeah. I remember people when he took the USC DC job. I remember people asking me like, "Well, I mean, do you think Todd Orlando's going to work at USC?" I was like, "If he's as stubborn as he was at Texas, no, because your personnel at SC tells you you probably need to be a four-man front." Yep, exactly. I was like, and he's going to take he's going to take guys uh, and kind of pigeonhole them, you know, pass rush and DNs, pigeonhole them into being five techniques and. Yeah. What? Uh, sorry to tell you. Sorry to say, I was right. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I. I that's why I. I, I don't really consider Todd Orlando. I wish he was a football theorist. I think he. He was a good D coordinator, but I think he's just great at kind of just R and D, ripping off and duplicate. F all as CDC would yeah. call it. Well, so, I mean, and him and Herman at the same time were obviously ones that didn't want to evolve past what they oh, viewed as you know just their cookie cutter version that's of a, a football point. team. So uh, uh, of if you're PK. And your Bo Davis, the two guys in charge of the front, because PK is not only the, D, only the DC, he coaches the edge guys as well. It's true. Basically, if you're those guys, unless you have seen, unless you have proof based on what you've seen in practice that Alfred Collins is ready to take the one or two of these guys are ready to take the next step and be ever down players, 
if you're committing to something to a base front or a base or base shades right now, predominant shades right now, you're going about it the wrong way. Yes. Yeah, if so you're just hard. committing to that right now, saying this is what we will be. There's no evidence of it. Right. You got no evidence of if you just bank like, oh no, Alfred Cotton's gonna have a, a you know a breakout year. Be great if he did, but you'd be going on faith. There's no evidence of that. So what you need to go into the you know the off season thinking is, you know, I got to give myself basically a contingency plan or plan A, B, C, D, E when it comes to the edges. You could bank on plan A, B, and Alfred Collins has a breakout year. Great, whatever that is. But you also better make sure you can uh, stop the run and you can fortify the edges during the season, even if last year's result ends up replicating itself this season. So mm-hmm. just say the edges are just as bad. What are you going to do now, coach? Yeah. You better fit what they're just as bad. You're nobody got better. They're just they're just terrible, horrible as they were last year. What are you going to do because you had an entire offseason to address the problem and you brought in Gary Patterson to help you do it. Yeah. That to me is what they need to be coming up with right now. A B C D and E. Hopefully you never have to get to C and D. Yeah. Hopefully that never even comes up because plan A and plan B Boom, that solves your problem. But if you have the same result last year uh, in terms of just their performance uh, this upcoming season in 2022 and you don't have a plan to address it, that's a coaching problem. Yeah, and that's where, like, last year I remember you went off and I agreed fully with you whenever it was the comment about, well, you know, things began to go off schedule. It's like they're going to go off schedule every game. every Like, almost no. In Texas, 05 didn't go off schedule for probably 10 or 12 games. Like, yes. that worked out the way it did. And they won a national it's title any with other BY off schedule. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Running, yes. A, running <laughs> off schedule. Yes, it always will go it's off schedule, schedule no matter yeah. what. And when you hear players talk about it and you hear a lot of great teams always talk about it, it's like, yes, we practice for what we do, but we have to be able to adjust in those uncomfortable settings when, because it's not going to stay comfortable. That's not going to happen to you. Therefore, the coaches have to be prepared for every single type of scenario that can potentially go wrong, and that's a part of game planning. That if your game plan is only on schedule, you are not doing your job as a game plan. Well, yeah. and I'll take I'll use another example from the past. Again, I'll go to the other side of the ball. I agree with you, Rod, because it is foolhardy to say, okay, an, an unknown commodity, especially to us on the outside, making that your identity is a great way to fail. Like, think about the 2013 offense going into the BYU game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember Matt coming out of the game. Well, you know, we had so much of the game plan wrapped around DeJay. He gets hurt the third play of the game, and most of the game plan's out. Why are you devoting such a large percentage of your game plan to one guy? One guy. Especially your injury. Especially one guy, guy that. You know, was not very dependable. And exactly. At that <laughs> point in his career, even DeJay would tell you at that point in his career, he was not the most dependable guy. No, he was not. Yeah. So why, that's, no, you're, yeah. you're, that's, a dang, that's a dang coaching mistake. That's a dang coaching mistake. Malcolm Brown, yeah. right? You have to, you, you got to be, you got to, you got to assume at times that, all right, you know what, things may not always happen as we plan. And I think for the coaches, considering how bad the defensive edges were, uh, defense period, but the edges were specifically what we're talking about. Just got to have plans. I mean, maybe it's schematic, right? Maybe you end up going with more you know, overhangs. Uh, maybe you blitz from the edges more. Like, I have no idea what you're going to try. Maybe you run blitzing on early downs. Maybe that's something you decide to do more. Um, you know, it, there could be a number of different things. I have no idea what the coaches would try to do um, to fortify the edges, but I do think you need to have plans in place. Sark has, one thing Sark has talked about, and this is what how I hope it manifests itself, 
He's talked about a philosophical change on defense this offseason to where they know they need to be more aggressive. We talked about it a lot. You could see it on tape, especially early in the year. Just way too much static defense, just base, vanilla, oh, yeah. fronts and coverages, and you were eaten alive. Because you don't typically, Rod, back when you played at Texas, you had the personnel to be as plain Jane as you wanted to be. Very right? true. When you've got Casey Hampton and Quentin Jammer and Derek Johnson and Nathan Fasher and all these guys that you're rotating through the program at the time, get these elite guys that are pro bowlers, all pros in the National Football League. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can, you can, those guys can wreck game plans. Like you can yeah. be. Let them go win one on ones. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, that's um, the whole goal. You don't have to use they scheme to be. Right. And typically at Texas, if you're doing it the right way in recruiting and player development, you can do that. Clearly, we've seen that one or both have not been there for Texas for Mm-mm. the lion's share of the last. 10 plus years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you need to be more aggressive. Where I hope that manifests itself is maybe the answer for this defensive line because we have seen guys, and I'm going to bring up one here in a second, the interior D line specifically. Maybe if you just let these guys focus more on being penetrators and disruptors mm-hmm. as opposed to run stoppers and gap fillers and needing need to let the linebackers work behind you, whatever the case yeah. is. Because it was fun. It was interesting. And, and again, take things what you want from a press conference or what guys say in public, but maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just confirmation bias for me. Yeah. And that can certainly be the case. But I, I went, one thing that I noticed about when we would get snippets of practice, get to watch a little bit of practice, when I noticed the D line going through and the interior guys with Bo Davis going through individual, I noticed there was a heavy emphasis on two things. Ball get off in, in, in your initial punch. EGO is good. Yeah. That's big. That's but foundation. very rarely did, and maybe they did it once we left, but that I, myself, not third hand, this is first hand, me looking mm-hmm. at it, I didn't really see a whole lot of, okay, growing up thinking about D-line technique. And look, I know football schemes change, but there's a lot of fundamentals and technique that from the time Bronco Nagurski and guys were wearing leather helmets, te- technique and fundamentals have a lot, in a lot of ways been the same. Mm-hmm. They just evolve a little bit. D-line play, Rod, I've always looked at it as three things. Hit, separate, get to the football. Hit, separate, get to the football. I saw a lot of hitting. Yeah. Saw separating. Practice, I didn't see a whole lot of getting to the football. Mm -hmm. And we could see that a lot lot of times on Saturdays last year. And I talked to Keandre Coburn about what they broke down in film. Like when you guys went back and watched the film, what did you see last year that went wrong? And he even said Bo Davis was putting an emphasis in the spring. He said, yeah, he said, when we watched tape with Coach Bo, he said, man, our ball get-off was good and our initial punch was good, but we got to do a better job of getting off blocks and getting to the football. Well, okay, yeah, that backs up kind of everything I pieced together from last year. And like I said, maybe that's just confirmation bias on my part, but or maybe there's something to that where maybe if you just emphasize it a little bit more, it'll just kind of naturally happen. Uh, they're They're not disruptive. That's that's the problem with the defensive line. They don't disrupt. And I think disruption, I, I see it as penetration. And they don't penetrate into the backfield. You're, you is, that a, is that a schematic thing? Is it a fundamental I, I, thing? I really a, I couldn't tell you because I don't know a, what they're being taught. Yeah, so right. I, I don't know. In terms of, you know, there are certain t- different types of schemes where they're being taught. You know, I agree with you 100% there's no disruption. Yeah, but in terms of penetrating in the backfield and causing disruption, that's what I want. I could give a damn about the actual, yeah. like, the, how the schemes they play. I think they play too much head-up alignments. I think they should play more shades in the gaps. That would help them in my – but I don't know what they're being taught. Maybe they do want to play 
more head up and kind of too engage, right? Yeah, and I so I don't know that. I you know I I even heard uh, Roy Miller talking about it too. I'd play more. Uh, gap schemes like play in the gaps yeah. and let them just penetrate one like, gap I, I would instead of two gaps. Like if you've got penetrate, if you got it. that D line Alabama had a few years ago, with like Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, we guys that guys that can play head up, like you can two gap all day with those yeah. guys. You got like Georgia's D, Georgia's D line last They're year, NFL players two gap all you want, they can players. do it. Yeah. yeah. It's like you can win the numbers advantage because you're like, oh no, that guy can cover more gaps up there, so we yeah. can devote guys to the back end. You don't really have that right now, yeah. and I think that's why they want to play more man coverage. So maybe they'll start being able to do that or run blitz. Hell, run blitz will help you too. Yeah, those guys can play shades, but blitz the guy through the damn A or the B gap and just go disrupt the damn play. Yeah, and and maybe it'll work out for you. Maybe it won't, but it's better. I'm with you than the static defense you were playing, assuming oh I, we'll have gap integrity. No, you won't. No, <laughs> it you won't. won't. Matter if you do not have gap integrity. Flawed, yes. Quit assuming you do. You do not have gap integrity. No, you do not have guys that can tackle great in the open field. No, go disrupt the damn play before it gets started. You know what? Like something's it's not going to play out ideally. Yeah. And allow your speed yeah. to just go make plays in the back. Uh, tying, in the back tying it together with the with the front and the second level. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but when I watch games, DeMarvin Overshone's a really good blitzer. He's a good blitzer. Like he, mm-hmm. man, being yeah. a good blitzer, it's not just, oh, how fast can you get there? How hard do you deliver a hit when timing. you get the ball? It's timing. Timing is everything on mm-hmm. a blitz. And he just seems to time it up yep. really well. I totally agree with that. I just don't see him doing it enough. That being is instinctive. That, yeah, remember that's BJ Foster, how good he was as a freshman at it. Which Some is guys why just, we were advocating to put him in the box more. But I I, I, talk about football theory. That's, that's, that's lost. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It would have helped him out too, considering now where he is. But anyway, I but digress. to your point, Jeff, on uh, you know just being able to maybe say when getting off the ball and that initial punch, but not getting to the ball. Just when you were explaining that, it sort of reminded me of the conversation we had a few weeks ago when we were talking about Hudson Card. It's the inverse, but with the way that he would see the pressure and wouldn't be able to keep his eyes downfield, mm-hmm. maybe the reason you aren't getting to the ball is if you are, say, getting a good get-off and a good initial punch, but your eyes, you aren't seeing the ball at all times. Because if you aren't don't have connectivity on the ball and keeping that angle that you're supposed to be coming in at, it doesn't matter if you beat the guy in front of you if you don't know where the ball is. And it's I've heard people, I heard Aaron Donald talk a lot about it this past year, just his ability that he's always has his eye on the ball and like linemen are freaked out because they're like, how is this guy able to do all this and beat me? But he's never looking at me. He's looking through me at where he needs to go and yeah. be the objective. Well, it's because his hands are his eyes. He's yeah. almost like a blind man. Uh, <laughs> man I'm, not, I'm not trying to be No, no, like, you're funny, spot on. But he's, uh, I mean, those good, really good D linemen, they're, their eyes are elsewhere, yeah. but their hands are their eyes because they have to. Gr- that's why he talk about hand mm-hmm. placement all the time. And the, he actually does. He has just fighting drills. Yeah, he does fighting and MMA drills. Yes. He's all about getting his hand placement the right way because then he can control, a martial you control like the yeah, you control the offensive lineman yeah. with your hands, and you can see almost where he's going based on the leverage it. of your hands. Yeah, and then you can watch the play with your eyes. Everybody, yeah, can you can feel it. Like if you get if you get yeah. a really good punch as a D lineman. And you really get into that old lineman's breastplate, yeah. like you can, you can feel where he's trying to go, and then move yeah. your hands. You can tell, okay, this is this, they're going to be, a, it's going to be a stretch run because I feel he's it's trying. It's like to, dancing with really, a woman. You ever yeah. dance with a woman? Yeah, yeah. you can much. feel where she's going and exactly. how she wants to go. And oh man, your body's going the wrong way, baby. Let me adjust you here. Yeah, I mean that's it's the same thing. It's a little delicate dance, except it's, ta- it's tactical. A, wi- force. a wise man once told me he said, "Really good trench play. What it boils down to is upper body violence." Mm, I like that. When it yeah. comes down to hand placement and feel and mm-hmm. leverage and all upper body violence, good upper body violence 
is what the trenches are all about. Where like you that. have to tie that together, and if a player doesn't necessarily – I mean, you can go and get off the ball as fast as you want, and you can go and get that initial punch, but if you don't have those eyes tied to where yeah. you need to go and where you need to be, there can be a big deficiency or a big block in between what these oh, yeah. results are and getting to the ball the same way that we well, were talking and about. And as a great football rush. player, all – hell, I remember learning as a DB and Coach Akeem would always say, your, your, your feet will go where your eyes go. Mm-hmm. So it's make sure your you eyes are in the right hips. spot. So his feet are always kind of moving toward the ball because his eyes are going mm-hmm. toward the ball and his hands and his body are able to feel the leverage of the offensive line. Everybody the, cannot yeah. do this stuff. Yes. He's, he's talking about the best defensive player <laughs> in the league, and you're talking about top three best defensive players of all time. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I, I think uh, I would only put LT ahead of him. I think Lawrence Taylor is probably the only guy hit ever. I'm going to be like yeah, Reggie White sure. and all that. I get it, but, man, this dude this dude ain't done yet. No. Dion, you, you put Aaron Donald above Dion? Yeah. He's more impactful than Dion. Just as a complete, a yeah, complete, complete football, football player. player, yes. I love Dion. When he's he, revolutionizing he's, an even more position yeah. at the Yeah, yeah he's, he's a better player than Aaron Reed. Okay. I mean, I, mean, I, I love those guys, but he is. The fact he, that, yeah. he impacts the game more than those guys. I mean, he's double teamed like 65, nearly 70% <laughs> of the time, and he's still putting up, he still leads the NFL in pressures, yeah. and he's been double teamed 70% and of the time. And at a position that nobody does those things. Right, this is why they always win the numbers game. Yeah. Rams will always win the numbers game because you devoted. We Getting back to Texas, Texas will never win the numbers game right mm-hmm. now until they get somebody up there that can demand a double team, and they demand a double team. So already they're playing nine against. 10. Mm-hmm. Boom. And they win. They already got And then they got Jalen Ramsey on the back end. So, oh, we got one guy that can cancel out your best guy. So, essentially, we win the numbers battle yeah. again. Yeah. I, I don't, want to, t- move I don't want to turn this into a Bash Todd Orlando podcast, but look at the two best defenses he's had. What a, They had a lot in common, but what's two things they had in common? One, you had Ed Oliver playing over the ball. The other, you had Puna, Puna. Ford playing mm-hmm. over the ball. Yeah, man. Those guys help you win the numbers game. Yeah. That's yeah, what the, that's yeah. I was thinking of Puna uh, when you brought up just the regional aspects exactly of right. players, and I was like, yeah, if you can't find that war daddy Jordan Davis, you can find a guy that has the same explosiveness just in a 5'11", 290 Aaron Donald's plug. undersized, remember? Yes, that was exactly. a big complaint about it. Like, he's undersized. like, well, he's undersized, but he also is quick as hell. Yep. And his BGO is, is unbelievable. So that's where yeah. the, the it outweighs these, the size issue. That's you know where that 6'1", 297, Byron Murphy this year could be a guy that Texas could love. Could be. How close Aaron Donald came to being a Cowboy. Because mm. in that Johnny oh. Manziel, Zach Martin draft, that's the guy they wanted. With T.J. Watt, too. Yeah. yeah. That's, the guy, that's too. the guy they wanted. They Randy wanted. Moss. They ended up with Zach Martin. But they were hoping Aaron Donald would fall to them, and then it got to Jerry wanted Johnny Manziel, and then whatever version of that story you believe that Steven tackled Jerry before he reached for the phone or whatever. So, uh, thank I God believe, they ended up with Zach Martin. I believe that Steven Jones did keep him from doing it. I think Jerry wanted to do it. You know how Jerry falls <laughs> in love like with players. Greg Ellis and yeah. Andy Moss. But you got Michael Parsons. He'll end up being a Hall of Fame yeah. player. So yeah, you that, yeah. Um, you're right about but that. No, there, yeah. But I think, Rod, a lot of this goes back to what we're talking about. A lot of it goes back to football IQ in terms of film study and studying fundamentals. There's so much about O-line play that as a D-lineman, if you pick up on these little nuances, man, it can help you be – an infinitely better player. Oh, that's why Belichick makes his players go into other position mm-hmm. meeting rooms and learn the technique and learn what the offense is being taught. So these guys, coaches, doing it now. It's I've coaches talked about like you know <laughs> going how going into defensive mm-hmm. meeting you rooms. You can tell if a guy's going to pull or not he's based on how much pressure if, if his yeah. knuckles are white or mm-hmm. how you know how much pressure you can tell he's putting on his hand. You can tell based on guys' alignments where how a guy he might cock his leg back in a certain way if he's about to go into a pass set or whatever. I mean, there's so many just little nuances you can pick up. But as we talked about, there's a reason why the head coach since 
the basically what amounted to an exit press conference the Monday before the K-State game, mm-hmm. one of the things he said needed to change with this team was football IQ. The football IQ of this team had to improve. I think part of it is it's as simple as guys just don't study enough film. That's big. That's big. It's also situational football, and it could obviously they're linked. Um, but yeah, that's situational awareness, right? And all those things should come together, right? When you you should be almost a you know an amateur uh, sleuth, right? A, a, a football detective mm-hmm. down to down, right? Based on the down and the distance and the formation and the situation. Right, uh, the alignment of the receiver, who the receiver is. They like to throw. Hey, they like to throw uh, wide receiver screens to this guy. Oh, they love to throw the deep ball to this guy. Remember, we talked yeah. about situational Texas was mm-hmm. when they ran uh, the veered shoot. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, you should be checking out. And then you know you're not it you're not trying to guess to... exactly what it is, but you are going it through your mind. You're eliminating mm-hmm. possibilities in yeah. your mind. Right, you're like well, okay, they got me a trips formation, a three by one here. I know three by one. They love to run the screen. So if they don't run the screen, that's when they oh they like to run. A smash concept out of this. All right, yeah. guys, going to smash concept. Got to be ready for that. You I mean you go? You check. You just check. I don't think they. I don't see them having the checklist because yeah. to me, and, and they don't play the sticks. Yeah. They don't know where the sticks are. So they're Down, thinking distance, alignment, assignment. That was yeah. your first four rules of defense, and that shows your football IQ. And the football IQ will improve because it, it, really smart football players. They they almost brag about it because they talk too much. Smart defenses are talking constantly. Go, you can go hear them, go talk. Mm-hmm. They're constantly, they're constantly telling you what they see. They're going through yeah. their checklist. Yeah. Right? They go, oh, trip, 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 trips. Hey, watch the, watch the smash. Oh, watch the crack, 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 crack. I mean, they, they love to talk. Yeah. When we were, by the time my junior senior year, man, that defense was talking so much. It was like a bunch of like cackling hounds. It was like, yeah. like the, the offense was freaking out at the time because we were talking way more than they were. Mm-hmm. We were talking to each other. Because we all knew exactly what our checklist was where we were going through. So based on your film study you're talking about, and I totally agree with you, they should know this down distance, you know, this formation, this situation, this specific receiver. Uh, you know, they like to do these things. They have these tendencies, these weaknesses, these strengths, and you should be able to at least at least narrow it down to about three or four concepts and routes that they can run on you. Because yeah. everybody has playbooks. Everybody's running their favorite routes. Yeah. Texas mm-hmm. running the same. I rush all the field. They're running the same damn route. Sarkis got his routes he loves yeah. and they've narrowed those down in certain situations. They got money plays. When it is third and four, most coaches are not going to run routes for third and nine. Mm-hmm. They're going to run no, exactly. routes for third and four. They got third and four. They got third and short plays. They got third and medium plays. They got third and long plays. And most coaches, that's how they break down. Right. Oh, it's third it's third and short. All right, let me get my third and short play. Oh, I got a money play right here. We go. And they, and they run those same plays all year long. Yeah. So by the time you get late in the season, you got a, a huge sample size of third and short, third and medium. What they gonna do? This formation with this player, all those things. And those players, they are they they have they are clueless out there yeah. when it comes to they just line up and play the damn defense. It's like bro, you are you are it is, you playing checkers? It is chess out there. I think as a coach, we talk about coaching is so much like teaching. I think you're almost like that teacher that's like we spent two whole days reviewing for this <laughs> test and all y'all flunked it anyway. Yeah. Well, Why did I just where, waste my time giving you the answers of the test and all y'all flunked it anyway? Well, and okay. I remember we brought okay. up, uh, you know, at the end of I last year good point. when we were on this topic and just being like, I wonder how much like the, you know, coaching staff or the, you know, analysts or the whatever analytics department it is, is like giving them a printout and having them go home and see like, okay, well, you know, in third and short, you know, they're going to be run 70% past 30. This 30% are out of these packages, yeah, exactly. these runs. And just beyond have a quick, that, a beyond that, your thing, your, your Wednesday practice is third down in red zone. No, I agree. That's all you do. But to match point, 
Think about, man, when I was coming up, I had to do this on my own. Yeah. yeah. I had to go watch film and do what pro Charted. football folks is already doing for you as a player. Yeah. And I know now they got even, now they got these huge, you know, support staff. So they oh, got, yeah, they got better. Like Matt said, oh, they've got much they got, better so stuff than we So you got a guy do. that's on the staff right now. You can go to him and go, dude, I need... I need third and I need third and longs. That means I want third and seven plus. Can I get all reds? You can go and to then, a human being and then and all say, pass I need plays. All these, I need all these pathways. I need this. I want all, everything on their number one receiver. You can do all that. And they can get it for you within like 12 hours. They'll done. email it to you or email hand it, it to you. They'll send it to you on your damn laptop, whatever it is. And I had to do this by hand. Dude, I had to stay up nights. Four, five in the morning, watching film, charting it out. Okay, all right, they definitely going to run that slant in the red zone. We know that now because that's 70% of the time they run the slant or the double slant. I mean, you this, this stuff now that it's like, oh, Pro Football really? wrote an article about it two days yep. before the game and told you, oh, you know mm-hmm. what, they love this smash content. You know, so I, I don't get it. I It's frustrating for me. But you know what? It helped me. It's the same thing now. People say, why, Robbie, why do you write everything down? Why are you going through all your notes to you write everything down? I say, man, because I remember it. Uh-huh. When yeah. I go through and I do all the research and I read every article and I break it down myself, when I go do the stats, I remember it. Yes. And I think the players there, maybe it's too damn easy. Maybe they are just giving it to them in a damn, you know, and, and just emailing it to them and sending it to them in some Word doc and they don't mm-hmm. even really look at it. Maybe that is what's going on. Maybe they need to do the research themselves. Maybe you don't got guys who got enough dog in them to do that. Because well, I know guys like Quandre was doing it. I remember I remember watching film with guys way back in the day when I first came back to school. So I know they was grinding on it like that. I don't know when it stopped and whether it just well, That's what we talk about, continuity no within I know, the program. I know Brandon Jones was doing it too. Yeah. Yep. I know he was grinding. Hell, he made a damn, he made a, he made a playbook for the combine for all the coaches. So I know he was grinding on it. Where did it stop? I know Josh was. I know Josh was. I'm saying like, I don't know. But not everybody's doing. But to, to beyond that, though, Rod, getting back to the trenches, you can talk to each other after practice. Like I, I think, I think there's so much, and, and I don't, I don't want to make this sound like I'm getting off on a tangent. But I think, like, from this is just me from the outside looking in. Like I think, you know, things like camps and, and the Senior Bowl and all these All Star events. They put so much emphasis on like O line, D line, one on ones that you focus on how many reps did you win your. You're so results oriented when so much about the trenches, man, is that process and growing through it. Oh, yeah. Like, honestly, there should be pick any pick any offensive lineman or any defensive lineman on this roster that go against each other in one on one situations, inside hole, pass pro, whatever it is. You sh- you as a defensive lineman should be able to tell a guy that you beat, hey, bro, you're you're lunging way too much, or you're leaning too far sure. inside. You're setting yourself up for me to swim you outside. Good point. Uh, likewise, the other way, it's like, bro, your pad level's way too high. Yeah, you know, true. your your hand placement sucks. Yeah, if like, you, if you care enough, the two groups should be talking about that kind if of you stuff. Care enough, and if you know your teammates, if you know, it, actually, number one, first of all, you gotta recognize it. Do mm-hmm. you diagnose what the issues are against your opponent so that you can exploit them? So, number one, you gotta have that. That's football. That's football. They were IQ. being repeated last year, so evidently right? not. Yeah, so that's football like you. And then to go tell your brother. Hey, man, I, w- I want you to get better. Come here, man. I need you to get better. I don't just need to humiliate you like that. I want you to get better. That way yeah. you're going to make me better. The only way I'm going to get to the league is I got to be going up against another guy that's also headed to the league or that's an all-conference player. So come here, man. I got, I, we got to get better. It's, it's like same thing with our one-on-ones back in the day. Um, when me and B.J. Johnson and Roy Williams and Sloan Thomas and, you know, Quentin Jammer and Nathan, Nathan Vash were going at it, that was also that learning process too. You know what I mean? That was that learning process. Like, man, what you got on that? Oh man, I had to give you a double. I had to give you a double outside fake on that on that six route. I had to. 
because usually you jump the six route. Usually they see that on film. They're gonna see mm-hmm. you jump that six. So they might give you a little. They might they might be yeah. how to get you on the double move. You're like, all right, so I gotta start thinking about that. What can I do? All right, I gotta work my leverage a little bit better. I gotta make that receiver run through me. Well, if you run through me on a double move, I ain't gotta worry about the double move. I just gotta make sure that I'm in the right place. Like all, you know what I mean? So you're mm-hmm. running through it in your head. So I agree with you. I think you're around the money that, but you gotta care enough about your teammates to go do that. Yeah. Getting back to the trenches, and we got—I want to get to Byron Murphy before we get out of here. I don't know how much time we'll have to talk about X factors because uh, I—I did want to try to sneak in some Keelan Robinson discussion before we uh, shut things down for this week. But getting back to the trenches and getting back to the disruption factor, Rod, how much in how much zone run? How much, what percentage of zone runs does the defense see? An overwhelming percentage. I don't want to quantify it, but mm, yeah. it's a damn—it's yeah. a—it's a damn lot. Yeah. What's the one thing as a defensive front you can do that can disrupt zone runs, especially wide zone runs? Penetrate. There, that to me, fundamentally at its core, is the biggest culprit in why you were so bad defending wide zone runs last year. Yeah, no penetration. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean that's. Yeah, I I think the is probably the other big issue in terms of them defending wide zone runs. I think you're right. If you get penetration then you can disrupt the flow of the play. And yeah. Texas never disrupted the flow of it. It always seemed to get almost gracefully, seamlessly to the C and the D gap yeah. <laughs> uh, with consistency. But I do think that, you know, the other big issue is just tackling. I mean, guy, I, I, I can't tell you how many times a guy was there. And it's usually on the back end. This is not D-line stuff, but it's just tackling in the open field. You would have guys rotating down to the play or to the back end that would miss the cutback. Um, and help, even the linebackers were guilty of it too. Um, Texas got to be a better tackling team. Yeah. A lot of your, it's just they're there. They just don't make the play. So when we talk about disruption and the D-line, the the one guy, and I know we just talked about I'm going to kind of maybe blow up everything we just talked about in terms of maybe there's not one war daddy on this defensive line or guys that you trust to take another step. If you start looking at Byron Murphy's per snap production last year, he was actually one of the better interior defensive linemen in the Big 12. I went to Pro Football Focus and put in, based on the number of snaps Byron Murphy played last year, which were 298. So on a minimum of 298 snaps, this is where Byron Murphy ranked among Big 12 defensive linemen. He was the fifth highest overall in terms of grade, number eight against the run, had the sixth best tackling grade. He was also number six in terms of where he ranked in terms of pass rush. Uh, He was 16th in the Big 12 in total pressures. He had 11 on what I see here is 131 pass rush snaps. Moro Ojimo, in terms of interior defensive lineman, led Texas last season. He was 14th in the Big 12 with 12 pressures. I remember I just mentioned Byron Murphy had 131 pass rushing snaps and had 11 pressures. Moro Ojimo had 12 on, a, on 221 snaps. Yeah. Almost 100 snaps more. Basically, you're getting the same production. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt's got some more numbers on this, but uh, I looked at Byron Murphy's uh, PRP rating, 5.1. That was ninth among Big 12 interior defensive linemen. The next closest uh, in terms of Texas defensive linemen, we had Moro Ojimo at 18th. So, Rod, we talked about this a while back. I think maybe it was might have been pre-spring or it was mm-hmm. maybe during spring ball. Um, I, th- I think that's as simple as – and we talk about with Alfred Collins, maybe it's different situationally, how you use him, when you use him, where you use him. Mm-hmm. To me, this is just as simple as dude, just give Byron Murphy more snaps. Um, and who are you taking out, Keandre Coburn? Yeah, probably. 
Yeah, probably so. I think I agree with that. I think Keandre Coburn is the one who becomes more situational. Yeah. Um, and because even Tavondre Sweat gives you a little more pass rush pop than Coburn yep. does. And I think Ojimo is a little bit more disruptive as well. I like Ojimo to have less penalties because that's something that keeps standing out in my film study. He has a lot of crucial penalties. I don't know if it's he loses it emotionally or whatever. It is, but he's a, the guy's one of the most intelligent student athletes on the campus, but mm. he does kind of lose his. There was ish. a couple in the Oklahoma State game. They're just like they were just away from the ball, just like uh, yeah, right. It's like, and like on third down stops too. Saying, like they're crucial. Or you were setting up for second and long, and then okay, now they got 15 yards. I know, and I love his attitude. He's unselfish, yeah. great, uh, great teammate. I don't know. Anyway, but I'm with you. I think Keandre Coburn would become my situational piece, early down, rush down, short yardage guy. And I think, like we talked about reiterating, he would be better because he would be used situationally. He would be fresher. One of his big issues is he just wears down as the game goes on. His first reps, when he, his fresh reps, Kendrick Coburn, it, it looks impactful yeah. when mm-hmm. he's really, really fresh. But all throughout a four-quarter game, he just So and just ensure that he has more fresh reps. I yeah, <laughs> exactly, and I think that would early down would. guy. I mean, yeah. he fits perfect for just being um, a early down guy, and you can really get a lot of value because you need somebody like that to eat up those downs. Totally those are agree. the downs that are going to probably be most problematic for undersized players to have to play. So he's like a perfect fit if you're going the platooning route. Uh, Matt, I want you to get to these Byron Murphy numbers. You've got some more PRP stuff, but like with Coburn, Rod, again, we talk about situationally in the Big Twelve. Some of the different different offenses you face, you know, Coburn might play. He's going to play way more reps against K State or right. Iowa State mm-hmm. than he is against Texas Tech. No question, exactly. And he right. should be. He should be. And that's why that. you know, going back to your hybrid spread theory about the Big Twelve, this all this may end up if they decide to go with the bullpen platooning approach, it may end up being a blessing in disguise. It may be like one of their first true experiments in football theory where they actually had a problem and they 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 used a creative uh, solution to solve that problem and to me like that actually be their first true adventure yeah. into re- football theory and I wouldn't doubt if if they do it it's Gary Patterson saying listen guys hey, we don't need to waste any of these players as you point, what, what's your word? Repurpose. Repurpose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, yeah, we thought he was a we thought he was an every down starter. He's not that. Let's repurpose the guy. He's gonna be this for us, and he's gonna be amazing in that role. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I not, the more we talk about, it, the more I like it. Honestly. Well, and if you look at guys, the only other guy to play more than a hundred snaps at A gap and B gap lining up, other than Keandre Coburn, was Byron Murphy, and Byron Murphy did it at a pretty high level. If you look at those PRP. Stats like Jeff was talking about the his win rate overall, his TPS win rate was at twenty seven point three percent, which isn't elite, but it's by far better than any of the other Texas players. So it just shows that he sort of stands out amongst them. And if you go into like his weekly grades, he was the only guy that really, other than the Arkansas game, it looked like Arkansas and Oklahoma really didn't grade out that high. Mm-hmm. But other than that, at least when you're going up against it sort of fits the mold exactly like we said. Texas overall grades look good, but when you go against the elite teams, you still weren't good enough, and that's where you still have room for improvement. Yep. Yeah. Um, where did I want to look at? One Byron thing that Murphy. stood out to me whenever I brought up the Ovia Gofu being ranked 153 and just the out of edge rush defenders, and this will just be a little stab in the back for us Texas fans, but – the guy that ranked out number two in the country, edge uh, run defense, Marquez Bimage. Oh, yeah, I remember Cal. that guy, yeah. Yep. I remember that dude. 
I was a I bit know. surprised to see that. It always sucks when the guy leaves Texas and then starts getting developed, and you're yeah. like, ah. He's like, number 10 <laughs> in the country. It stopped ah. exactly where Texas was the worst. By the way, Byron Murphy's uh, true pass set uh, win percentage of yeah. 27.3, that was the best. I don't know if you mentioned this, Matt. That was the best of any interior defensive lineman in the Big 12 that had at least 100 pass rush snaps last season. Yeah. I did not mention that. I just said best on team. That is very good. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I, that's why I, I – I would always, if I was a defense coordinator, have me a NASCAR package, which is my just all my best pass rushers on the defensive line. When I know you're third and really long, which means you're third and nine plus and get third and double digits, I, man, I have a NASCAR package where I got number speed on the field, best pass rushers, and probably six defensive backs. Uh, the hybrid spread theory that we talk about, and I, I do want to talk more X factors next week because we just talked too with Collins and Murphy and. That led us down to a whole line of scrimmage conversation this week, and I know we got to wrap it up here in just a minute. But I want to talk about the I want to talk about Keelan Robinson next week. I also want to talk about the hybrid spread theory, right? As we think about non conference opponents, um, I'm about to start watching a little UTSA film. The quarterback's pretty I'm, nice. I'm interested to see what I find. Frank Harris. Frank Harris. Yeah, yeah. Frank Harris. Because you've got Matt Maddox there. As oh really? Those, yeah. I didn't realize that. So it's Veer and Shoot, and we know Jeff Trailer has been. He's been. He was with Matt Maddox and Sterling Gilbert at Texas. Uh, Jeff Trailer's been a spread guy. He was with Chad Morris uh, mm-hmm. at SMU and then at Arkansas. So when we talk about hybrid spreads, you're mixing a Veer and Shoot with something else. I I I didn't watch enough UTSA last year to know how much true Veer and Shoot yeah. they were. Jeff Trailer is multiple, though, man. Jeff yeah. Trailer is a – yeah, he's a pretty progressive offensive mind. I mean, look what he and Jay Norvell did in yep. 2015. Exactly. On the fly. Man, and they were running some two-back sets. I like those dudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deontay mm-hmm. Foreman and Chris Warren. Mm-hmm. They, hey, you Deontay know they, Foreman you and Jonathan Gray. Set, you, got, hey, <laughs> you got a fan for life. <laughs> man, they hey, – they were solving the problem. Uh, the eighteen wheeler solved. package that was yeah. that was an end of the, they, were, they, 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 they they were they were all about mm-hmm. they were problem solvers, man. They were like, listen, we ain't got a lot, but boy, I think we got offense enough. had a lot of problems, boy. Yeah, they did. <laughs> hey, they won a game where the quarterback couldn't throw the ball. Yeah. He liked that. Sergeant Ron Hurd couldn't complete a forward pass. Damn right. They won a football game. Well, almost felt uh, like won a season doing that. Matt, do we have time to get into some Keelan Robinson discussion real quick? <laughs> I don't think we have again. time for this because I yeah I gotta go, guys. Yeah, okay. We're getting close to one thirty, right? All right, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know if we had time or not, but that's good. I got the numbers. I'll yeah. just save them. We can Keep do it fresh. next week with X factors. Okay, uh, that's gonna do it for this week, then. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome, Rod. B. Appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 104.9101 at AM twelve sixty streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can hear Rod B. each and every weekday from 3 to 7 on Ball Don't Lie. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes. Anywhere you get your podcast, click that follow button. You get every episode of Longhorn Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.